Music can mean different things for different people. For many, it's an escape. It's a place to lose yourself in the middle of your real life stresses and just get lost in a song. For others, it's an opportunity to confront those stresses and fears head on. And for me, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I certainly like to get lost in a couple tracks here and there and forget what I'm doing. At the same time, I, I love a song that tells me what's going on and just that's why I've been listening to music for so long. It's just means different things to everybody, and sometimes it can mean different things to even those who are doing it. Well, for my next guest, Mackenzie Nicole, I'd say music is definitely in that second category for her. Someone who likes to confront her fears and concerns head-on and catalog the journey to how she became the person she is today. And let me give you a little bit of background about Mackenzie. She's basically grown up in the business. Classically trained in opera as a child, Mackenzie's father owns a hip-hop label called Strange Music. In a sense, there was no avoiding a career in music for Mackenzie. Her first album, The Edge, came out in 2018 when she was just 18 herself, and it was an attempt to find her pop-leaning voice on a hip-hop label. It worked, but she wanted more. She wanted creative control. And as she worked with her label, Strange Music, and her house producer, Michael Summers, who goes by the name of Seven, she knew The Edge was just the beginning. But as she was getting to record the follow-up to The Edge, Something else is going on that she needed to take care of. Mackenzie has always struggled with mental illness and has had suicidal thoughts since she was a kid. As I said, she was 18 when The Edge came out, and usually at a time when an album comes out it does well on the charts, you'd think that person would be on top of the world. But Mackenzie was hurting, hurting badly. And after hitting her rock bottom and beginning to recover, she sought help and then felt she had a responsibility to catalog that. And that's where the mystic comes in. Mackenzie released The Mystic, her follow-up to The Edge, this past February, and I got to speak with her from her home in Kansas City. She talked about her struggles with mental illness and blunt candor, which you can hear throughout The Mystic. In fact, The Mystic is a concept album divided into three chapters. The Rabbit Hole, which is just getting lost in everything. Purgatory, which is that transitional phase where you begin recovery. And then Oxygen, which is basically life as we know it, or the unknown. We talk about four songs, Heart of Darkness, the House Above the Hill, Stay, and Goodbye. We talk about her inspiration for music and her love of classical literature and how she's doing today. As we all know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and those who are suffering from mental illness may be even more acute given the isolation from staying at home and everything being closed and really no place to run. Now, Mackenzie calls mental illness the darkness. So we talk about how she has moved forward and how she is continuing to address her concerns and her fears, and put her life back together. And we also talk about her love-hate relationship with being considered a pop artist in an era where musical genres are fast disappearing. And for those who are suffering with mental illness, I think the message you get from Mackenzie's music, and especially in The Mystic, is that there is hope. There is another way. There is a path forward. So everyone, meet Mackenzie Nicole. Hey Mackenzie, how you doing? I'm pretty okay. I'm happy to be here. How are you? All right. Well, I appreciate you doing this. And, you know, the, the first question I've been asking everyone, I started this podcast back in May, and I wasn't quite sure how long we'd be in this pandemic. And here we are five, six months later. So how is it? How's it affecting you? I'm not going to lie to you. My mental health is suffering severely, but you know, I'm healthy. I have a job and a house. So like, I'm not going to complain too much. Um, I'm doing 
I have more than some can say to be grateful for, so I'm just going to focus on that. But yeah, this whole quarantine pandemic thing has been a little rough. But yeah, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, you know, same. It's, it's, it's interesting. I, the last interview I did about I was talking to a musician, and they were in the middle of a tour. It was, and actually, I just happened to see them two nights or three nights before everything stopped. So I was asking, like, what was that like to be in the middle of a run and you're, you're just hitting your stride and all of a sudden you got to stop. And um, were you in that situation too? Were you on the road? Or were you it's, funny you that. it's funny you say that because I was going on tour. I was going um, on tour throughout like the West coast. It was going to be my first tour tour where I wasn't like opening for a strange artist or anything like strange. I mean, strange music, my label anything like that we did precisely one show and got sent home so are you writing is, this, is, is there any uh, more productivity maybe just having all this time i'm trying you know it's kind of hard trying to get in some studio time right now with everyone home means everyone's in the studio right now so we're all kind of fighting over days but yeah i've tried to channel some of the extra free time and energy that you mentioned <laughs> into creating some new music and yeah i have been writing a lot i'm i have my next release recorded and then i'm three songs into the album my next album because my next release is not an album i can't okay. really say it is. but yeah i'm three songs into the next album so yeah a, a productive stuff has happened so i'm grateful for that <laughs> and we'll get to the songs in a few minutes but i want to talk about your influences both both musically but also lyrically i know you you, you you're influenced a lot by some of the classical authors out there, Conrad and Camus, and so we'll get into that in some of the lyrics. But I'm just curious, how much do you draw on those writers or influences in, in your work? But also, are there any? what is it about them that reaches you personally? All right, so I absolutely, 100%, am so very in love with literature. Reading is, I have libraries of books. I have oh so many books and they are the loves of my life nothing makes me happier everything i've read or been led to read i think has stuck with me no matter what reading fan of the opera when i was like you know really young when i was like second or third grade is when i really remember starting to get into books and then when i got into high school i started to kind of find the genre my own taste i started to figure out what made me kind of tick and really resonated with me the most. Just like how we all, I know I'm a musician, so it's kind of like how you begin to find your stride and your taste musically. I felt the same way about literature as I got older. My favorite novel of all time is Wuthering Heights. I just, I love it with my whole heart and soul. It makes me extremely ridiculously happy. Obviously you mentioned um, Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. We quite literally were inspired by that and we'll get into that obviously. Camus is, like, is probably my favorite writer because I consider myself absurdist and it's my favorite philosophical school of thought. When I first learned anything about Albert Camus and his black trench coats and cigarettes, I was like, oh my God, I'm in love. Thank you. So I, one thing I wanted to ask is pop music can mean a lot of different things to different people. What, is, what does it mean for you? I'm glad you asked this because I, throughout the entire, the edge, let's talk about the edge. It was an exercise in seeing if I could do pop. 
And I think we succeeded in making you do pop. But the, every interview I did where someone said, so pop, I wanted to die because I <laughs> did, I hated it. Like mm-hmm. I, I spent, here's the thing. I grew up my entire life listening to like horrorcore Midwest rap music. And then I went through my like, emo punk phase and then i went through an alternative phase and then i just went through a what even is this phase these there's so much going on and none of it's pop and so for people to say like reference me as pop it felt like i was just being untrue to what i what my roots are what i was it's like the antithesis of opera also and when you are an opera singer when you are trained to be an opera singer and someone says you did pop your brain like you just automatically cringe i'm learning to redefine what pop means to me because it's not intended as an insult you know like not and i think for so long because it's like almost a derogatory term in some circles of musicians i took it as one and i didn't think people were saying it maliciously i just didn't take it as complimentary of my style i think now's a great time to be a quote-unquote pop musician because genres are disappearing left and Right. right And I love that. I want to erase genres and just make music. I hate labels on everything. I think it's so limiting. And I think that our, we're very descriptive creatures by nature, humans. And I think our need for explanations of things has really killed creativity a lot. So, like, we're now in this internet age where you can get influenced around, like, where you can listen to 100 Gex and then Avril Lavigne. And then you can go back and I can go listen to the Johnny Cash archives, best mm-hmm. of. You know, like I can listen to all this right now on my computer or on my phone and then create something that's an amalgamation of all of that. So let's get to Mystic. And before we get into the song specifically, if, if you can just if you can just talk about the concept behind Mystic, because I know it's a concept album. So Mystic is inspired by a very crucial period of my life. I think the overarching theme, I don't think, I know, is mental illness and wellness and just the state in general. And our spiritual and metaphysical bodies, trying to prioritize them in a world where the physical body is almost solely acknowledged. Here's where that came from for me. You know, I've struggled my entire life with a just flagrant mental illness. Like my entire life, I, the first, I str- like I was suicidal since I was six. That just never stopped and things just kept getting worse. And by the time I was 18, I really hit a wall. Um, first six months of 2018, I had a severe mental breakdown that nearly killed me on several occasions. So here's where Mystic comes in. One day during this mental breakdown, I had gotten into this verbal altercation with a coworker. And because, you know, mentally ill, mental breakdown Mackenzie is so rational. I freaked out and I left work that day. And I was driving around town and I got lost. And so I call my mom. I start sobbing on the phone because I realized, like, it was something like, kind of cheesy but poetic about how lost I was physically and how lost I was emotionally and how they just kind of collided in this moment. I was sobbing so hard I had to pull over in a quality and parking lot. <laughs> I was talking to my mom and I told her, hey mom, I'm gonna kill myself. At the time, I wasn't saying it for the dramatics or for the attention. I literally was just trying to make her aware so that she could like prepare herself emotionally. In retrospect, it's such a cruel thing to do to your mom. But her response was, no, you aren't. And I thought, why am I like that? That's the most mom thing to say. Like, I, like, am I, like, am I gonna be sent to my room? Like, what is that? 
and she said we need to slow down in that moment I knew that like mate like it just something about it clicked and I was like oh I'm gonna get help now like I need it because my mom told me take the rest of the day off work drive go do something so I was driving around town and I ended up on the same road I used to take to school every day when I was in high school and on my right there was a psychic shack that I'd always wanted to go into and so today was the day I thought why not I pulled over dramatically I get out of the car cinematic I walk up the steps I turn the doorknob it's locked because why wouldn't it be I lose it like I I'm like calling inside from the number I can find on their Facebook page that was the only website they had I didn't realize how that day would come back round full circle and affect what would happen months later and what happened months later was I had this responsibility in like fall of 2018 to deliver an album. And first of all, I had creative control, full creative control. I wanted something that I never had before in my music that always made me upset. It was authenticity. I felt I'd never truly been authentic. And so finally, I was going to be authentic. That's what my goal was. I just wanted to feel like I was telling the truth and being myself because I didn't know who I was. And so the only thing I had to write about was the thing I felt defined me, which was the darkness. So I started writing about what I was going through at the time. And so I started writing about recovery because that's what I was doing right then. And I always say that I didn't create Mystic. It existed somewhere in the universe outside of me. I was just like delivered it so I could bring it to light really. Then I have a note in my phone that I found months into recording and from April, I think it was from the day that I went to the psychic shack. It said, I found the mystic and that was how the name of the album came. It was from that note. I just jotted down in retrospect. I know why it was so important to be led to the psychic shack that day, because I don't know what I wanted or expected from going in. I think the reason I was so disappointed when she was closed was because I just wanted her to do her job and tell me that I had a future. And that's essentially how Mystic came about. Well, something you said has, has, I've heard a few times in other interviews about how it was delivered to you. As I've talked to others, you said, you know, that song just woke up and it was there. Was that true for the entire album or for certain songs? Like, well, let's just start with Tower of Darkness, the, the opener. I mean, I mean, there's so many literary references throughout, but I'm just curious, did this just come to you in a package or did you really have to work at lyrics and matching up the music? I mean, So Heart of Darkness was the very last song we recorded for the album. The album was created entirely solely between myself and my mentor, um, Seven, who's our in-house producer at Strange Music. At this point, the other 11 songs are done. And I know the colors of the album have to be purple and red. So I was talking to him, I was like, we have everything else. We just need to get one last track. And I, and I, when I recorded the songs, I knew the order they were going to be in. And so I knew this had to be the first track. It was the only slot that was empty. He sent to me the perfect balance of everything else on the album. I was listening to this beat and I realized that I couldn't sum up, I couldn't introduce this album in a way that was 
concrete or literal. I knew we were going to be abstract. So one of my favorite novels of all time, one, a very important to me is Heart of Darkness. And the reason why Heart of Darkness really resonated with me when I began to think about the content of this album and the concept of this album is because Heart of Darkness, in short, one of the themes of it is invasion and colonization and how foreign power can invade and decimate your livelihood. All the thoughts of colonize my mind and make my heart be fall out of time. Empty casings and the bloody footprints on the ground. See you lies above the smoke cloud just to shoot it down. I smile pretty like ivory. That's why they had to take my smile from me. When it all was said and done, they said I was the killer. And they sold it down the river. I'm not going to compare anything I've been through, even remotely, to the evils of colonization, right? Not going to say that. I can't. But the idea of a foreign entity just raiding and robbing everything you know and destroying your world is kind of what mental illness was for me and what the darkness i really don't like mental illness i think it's so much bigger than that what the darkness was for me and what it still is at times everything we hold dear comes back to serve us in our art and I had held this novel so close to me so many years I started I read it for the first time when I was 14 I remembered certain passages and certain lines from um, Heart of Darkness where you know for example I say they made a hellscape of a paradise now I'm nothing but a pair of eyes that was inspired by um, one particular passage where the natives in Heart of Darkness are being described as black limbs, white eyes, but never as full people. They're being dehumanized. They're being viewed as like parts comprising a whole that doesn't matter. And that's how I felt in a way. I felt dehumanized. I have felt like a broken vehicle, you know? And so little things like that inspired that particular song. And each line is really truly like I could trace which line out of the novel it was inspired by every line is intentionally derived from a line in Heart of Darkness. Yeah because I, I thought it was brilliant that just there was sometimes it's really subtle like you mentioned the colonization line and then of course the most famous line is the horror and the horror. So now that we've set the stage, let's switch gears to House Above the World. And it, what chapter is this one in? This is the first song in the second chapter. And it is the, mo it's for me, the most important song I've ever done. And again, it's influenced by Albert Camus, correct? 
Yes. So a happy death by Albert Camus has this setting called the house above the world. And I first read it when I was like 17, I want to say, and I don't believe in an afterlife. I don't believe in a God, anything like that. But I will tell you that the closest I've ever felt to anything divine was reading about the house above the world about as peaceful as any thought I've ever had makes me feel like it's the, it's the safe space thought, you know? And so Seven sends me this really ethereal, like immaculate bee. I knew, oh, like enlightenment. That's what the song is. This is the turning point in the album. This is where the fog clears a little and the doorway to the other side is revealed. As I was writing, I wanted to really paint the picture of what Camus painted for me. So when I think about the house above the world, I think of the balcony and the windows that he mentioned with the sunlight streaming through. I think of the fruits from the garden that they ate. I think of, you know, there's this really beautiful poetic nature that I didn't really touch on in the song, but it influenced my writing. In The House of the World, in Kimu's novel, they say that everyone simply spoke the blunt truth and nothing but the truth. And so visitors in the home would be made very uncomfortable because they would, you know, people aren't used to confronting reality in its barest form. And I thought that is such a raw way to live life for better or for worse. The truth is very beautiful and very ugly all at the same time. And that's kind of just the nature of life. That's a human condition. If you try to dwell in the beautiful or dwell in the ugly too much, it's going to drown you either way. So it's that finding, realizing and finding some sort of balance. I haven't figured it out yet. Like I say in the song, my favorite line I've ever written is, my heart is a magnet for Cupid's arrows and poison darts. I am constantly in love and constantly heartbroken. And that's what that line means. I am just eternally hurting, loving, sad, and just entranced. And it's just, it's painful, but it's my best quality and my worst quality. And I think I'm not alone in that. I can, I can, I can tell that the way it kind of starts out, it, it does sort of build towards an awakening at the end because you're 
the first verses are kind of, I wouldn't say quiet, but you're on. There's a harmony with, I think, when you're singing with yourself there, but then at the end is a crescendo when yeah. you really, your voice just pops out. moments where we're setting the stage I felt like we could be gentle at the beginning we're describing the floor-to-ceiling windows they're casting shadows they're casting out demons I think that it brings us into the space and so I felt like being able to do so gently as though we're as though waking from a dream in this like place that we are somehow you know I wanted to be gentle like waking up so I appreciate your time so we got two more songs to cover The uh, next one is Stay. And you know what I liked about this song and just, I don't know if it was just the songs that I picked, but it seemed like the album kind of grows in momentum, if that makes sense. Like it kind of starts out a little subtly and then each song just kind of builds and builds and builds. And like this one, you know, Hard Darkness was kind of sparse and had that quiet looping drum or guitar. Whereas this one, there's a heavier riff opening things up. So it seems like things are moving. If I don't lean out and I get away, who am I, who am I, who am I to? Sitting on the floor of an apartment I don't own, watching smoke as it slips out the window. She says, if I want, I can stay, I can stay if I really want till the feeling goes away. I love when people ask about Stay because it was the song that almost didn't happen. Here's what I mean. The first song I recorded after The Edge was called Coming for Blood. Um, Any fans of mine are mad at me for even mentioning it because I just still haven't released it and it's been two years. Mm. So I originally had Coming for Blood in place of Stay. But I struggled with it for months, even though we had already had the album mastered, we had the track list finalized, all this, Coming for Blood's in there. But I struggled so hard with it because I could not figure out how it would fit into my narrative, how it would fit into the album. Fast forward several months, we are in, God, what, like spring, maybe summer of 2019 at this point, way after the rest of the album has been finalized and recorded. And a local news station wants to interview me at the studios. And they say, can we get some B-roll of you recording a song? And I thought, easier said than done, but okay. So I hit up Seven. I'm like, hey, like, you want to make a song? And so he sends me this beat. And so before I knew it, it was morning of. And so I'm sitting in hair and makeup with a speaker next to me and a notebook, like in one hand with my phone, in the other looking up words and such. And I'm just like, I felt as I was writing, I was like, stop it, stop it, stop it. Because I kept finding myself writing in like the mystic mindset. And then we get in there. They're trying to film me recording the song. And as I'm recording it, I know in my heart, like, oh, this is what was supposed to be in that place. Mm. I, like coming for blood was a placeholder this is what was meant to be here. When I was going through all this, when I was so alone in my mental breakdown, 
I would go to my friends, they're married now, I would go to their apartment down in the River Market in Kansas City that I love and I would love to drive there and I love their apartment building, I love everything about it because it was my safe space. I would be having a bad day and I'd just leave and drive there and she'd say, stay for the day, the night, the weekend, the week, however long you need to so things are okay. I would sit there and I'd lay on their pull-out couch and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and then I'd go to the bathroom and just stare in the mirror and like splash water on my face and try to understand what was going on. If I come over now, can I sleep on your couch? I just need some time to figure this shit out. In the bare bathroom, I try to breathe as I wash my face in a dirty and so I had, to, if I was going to talk about all the dark and all the sad that was during that time, I owed it to them and to the memories I had with them to represent that too. Because it seems like this is the first song where you really are interacting with other people. Some of the lines that you were talking earlier about writing and being brief, to me, some of those powerful lines are the most simplest. Something like, I don't leave now, will I get away, who am I to stay? And that's so lonely but hopeful at the same time. My favorite band I've mentioned is The Front Bottoms. They have a song called Maps. I would listen to this song when I was younger, and there's a line that says, what about your friends? Don't you love them enough to stay? And I say, if I don't leave now, then I will never get away. That line always stuck with me, and it evolved so much from all my escapist fantasies over the last many years. I realized if I don't leave this life now, I'm always going to be this miserable. But on the flip side, if I don't leave the darkness now, I might be trapped here forever. You know, I might be this miserable. So I can leave, I can either leave by killing myself or I can leave by finding the other way out. I, but also literally, I felt so worthless. I felt so unlovable. And here these people were, and I aspired to be them. They were in a steady relationship. They had a house or I mean an apartment. They had their own Place and they were about to get married. They had friends, they had jobs. It was like everything I wanted to be because I felt like I just would never feel like normal and happy and have like their problems and their feelings. And I just idolized my friends. I felt so unworthy of their care and affection. Like all the, all, they took care of me and I felt so undeserving of it. So again, I appreciate your time so much tonight, Mackenzie. So let's talk about the last song here, Goodbye, which is the final song on the album. And it's funny, when I heard this song, I was thinking it was sort of like how you describe Outer Darkness and that it encapsulated a lot of the sounds and the moods that were going throughout it. But it sounds like that was actually the first song. So I'm just curious, in, in your mind, what is Goodbye, the music, the kind of the, the backbeat, and then lyrically, what, is, what does it mean to you? Goodbye can be interpreted two ways. It can be interpreted most literally as a suicide note. I think that that interpretation, I don't really have to detail too much. But also, it can be interpreted 
as a goodbye to, I always reference it as the darkness, the life I lived for so long. When I reference home in the album, it's never a good thing. And home for me is that sad, dark, scary place I lived in for so long because it's the place I resided in. It is all I ever knew. So that's where I made my home. When I say I'm never coming home in goodbye, it means I'm finally leaving that place. There's nothing poetic. There's nothing to be beautiful. There's nothing to take away from being so sad for so long. I just, I love the way it wraps up this album because finally, after all these words I've said and after all these songs I've sang, the last thing you hear is just me speaking goodbye. And that's it. And then this, you know, the story ends. Yeah. I, I didn't hear it as a necessarily like a goodbye to the world, but as you were talking earlier, goodbye to what you were dealing with yes and, and what i like about it though is there's a line neither hell bent nor heaven sent i acted without consequence which to me says you're taking responsibility that this isn't god's work or the devil's work but i'm taking control I lived so recklessly. I didn't care. I was going to die anyway. And now I have to answer for my actions. And that's scary, but it's the next step. You know, it's what I have to do now. I'm alive now. This is, you have to take ownership over it. Well, uh, again, I want to thank you so much for your time tonight, Mackenzie. So what's what's next? You, you mentioned you're writing some new material. So where does the, I mean, it's, we won't know how the story ends ever, but where are you going from here? The most important thing from here is that we keep moving forward. You know, I tell people, you will recognize me from Mystic and my new releases, but don't expect me, like I just said earlier, like I don't serve the darkness anymore. Don't expect to hear only that anymore. There's so much more to me. And I made an entire album and the point was that it can get better. If I come back with more sad music and more darkness, I could write about that yeah, ad nauseum, but I lied to you. That's all I ever tell, talk about. You know, I want to talk about other emotions. I want to talk about other feelings, other experiences. So this next release, it's uh, just fun. It's experimental and it is in the same tones as Mystic. And then to describe my next album, the one I'm three songs into, I'd say that it's like if it's like if I had creative control over the edge, essentially, it's a little bit more pop leaning. It's way more upbeat, very performable you know, all this, but it's still me. Like I'm still, I'm still going to be grim and cynical and all of that. Still going to, like I said, you're going to recognize me. I'm just going to look a little different. I want to thank Mackenzie for giving me so much of her time and you can find her on Spotify and Twitter and all the social media world. Her label Strange Music can be found at strangemusicinc.com. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon.